Business is simple. It's just not easy. We focus on three things to help you run and grow your business more easily. Talent, sales, and how to scale. This is the Talent, Sales, and Scale Show. Hey everyone, Brian Whittington with this episode of the Talent, Sales, and Scale Show. We have a real treat for you today, Jordan Benjamin, who's, you know, sitting around drinking Mai Tais, doing nothing. My gosh, this guy is all over the place. He is co-founder of MyCore OS. You can figure out what the OS stands for in a little bit. Uh, he is a top producer over at HubSpot. He's been crushing it for years. Just got back from a uh, president's trip down to Puerto Rico, was it? Yep. Hanging out in Puerto Rico with all of the other winners over there. So pretty cool there. Plus, he's doing all kinds of other things. We'll get dive down a little bit more deeply into that. But with that said, welcome to the show, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Hopefully can uh, share something valuable with your community. Yeah, well, let's. I'm sure that you can. There's going to be a lot of stuff here. So topic of the day, uh, what we're going to be hitting on is how do we sustain peak performance in a hyper-growth company? So you've been with... Uh, with, with HubSpot since it was kind of young, right? Nascent, if you will, back in the day, and you've grown it, grown with them, so you've massive success, and you've really developed a lot of ways to keep peak performance for yourself, to keep hitting that President's Club after all of these years, and and you've even been helping uh, others with that. So with that said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've started a company with it, yeah. So you do it at HubSpot. So what? Uh, why should we listen to you on how to sustain peak performance? and a hyper-growth company? Yeah, it, it's a great question. And why listen to me? Maybe you shouldn't. I don't know. Everything I say <laughs> might not be for you, but I have fallen on my face so many different times. I have stumbled through life and realized that none of the, almost none of the education that I got in school was what actually I needed to create my best life is, you know, I, I went through rough breakups and had no idea how to handle that. Well, I found a therapist and luckily they helped me go through some of those things. And so I've spent years learning from the best of the best in different industries across things like peak performance, but also some of the best people that have brought mindfulness to the West uh, and learning how do we blend all these different areas to create our best version of ourselves and our life. And so I've spent thousands of hours of learning and exploring while being able to sustain a pretty high level of performance at one of the top companies in the world at HubSpot, while we've grown from, I think, about 700 people when I've started to about 6,000 now. So I've done a lot of the heavy lifting. I've fallen on my face enough times to do that learning for you to help others not have to ideally step in the same potholes that most of us have been programmed for most of our lives. Well, so a lot there, right? So learning from failures, um, school didn't teach you some mindfulness, and, and we can unpack that a lot. But I guess, why don't we start with how would you really define what peak performance is? I mean, is that a little bit different for each and every person? I think it really is. And I think that's one of the critical parts of it is coming to understand yourself. One of the principles that I've loved to use for a while uh, is how do we show up as effective leaders in whatever that is, whether you're an individual contributor leading a massive organization. And it starts with how do you know and understand yourself? Because then we can control ourselves and from there, we can actually do something and show up for others. And so for me, it's all about how do we build self-awareness of what are those things that really fill me up or drain me? What are the goals that really matter to me? What are the direction that I want to take my life in? And from there, I can start mapping and understanding not only 
what are the things that I love and who do I want to be in this world, but also who don't I want to be? Because so much of the learning, what I got from college was do what you're passionate about. I had no idea what I was passionate about at that time. And I've had to fall on my face, stumble, and really start to learn, well, what are some of the things that I don't want that really help me start to define who it is that I do want? And understanding that's where peak performance comes in for each of us is saying, who am I? What do I value? And then I can start moving towards those. And in time, adjust them too, because we are not static human beings. We're going to change over time. We're going to grow. We're going to see the world differently as different experiences happen for us. But I think it really starts with building self-awareness of what does top performance look like to me today? Yeah, now, so it gets really into to personal and it, it's kind of curious, right? So in my old days, whenever I was at Sandler, we really dug down a lot into this, of the, the, the mindset piece of it, because you get rejected so much in sales, but in life in general, right? If you're a peak performance, you're, you're going to really get, you're going to, get people coming after you, right? Because you're coming out of that comfort zone. You're trying to to always reach. And if you're constantly reaching, you definitely, because you've said it a couple of times, you're going to fall down on your face. And it goes back to that quote of the man in the arena, right? I love that quote, uh, you know, of daring greatly. If you're going to fail, at least dare greatly. So how did you go about discovering who you are and what allowed you to get that energy? Because there's a lot written on it, but I find that still not many people are, are talking about it or know a lot about it. Yeah, I, I think I'm a big fan of trial and error. I, I don't remember where I can attribute this to, but so much of kind of what I expected life to be was this linear path of success. You know, it's like, great. Just like in school, I got my A in my class. The equation on how do you do well in in school is pretty straightforward. You show up, you do the work, you do the extra reading, you do the homework. You're probably going to get a B in the test. You know, school has really helped us solve for this average opposed to the outliers, opposed to, well, how do we understand those people that did the best of the best? And so for me, I come back to life's a little bit more like bumper cars. It's not this linear path. And to really find that edge, to find where I can perform my best means I've got to go try new things. I've got to get out of that comfort zone and say, you know what? I, I went and tried, um, you know, I, I got certified as a yoga instructor. I really like teaching yoga, but that's not what I want to do to get paid. You know, I'll, I'll give that away for free uh, because then I can do that on my own schedule, my own time. And so it was like, all right, great. I went out, explored that. Yeah, I'm going to pull back you know, turn the bumper car a little bit a different direction and say, okay, I'm going to use that as something to help me guide that next move that I make. I talk to a lot of people that are thinking about moving somewhere in their lives. And it's like, okay, well, what's the worst thing that happens? You find out why you didn't like that place. And that for me is where I think I start to gain so much more insight about what really aligns with my values and where I want to spend my time. You know, for me, I moved to the mountains of Colorado, uh, mainly because I was following my girlfriend, now fiance, um, but <laughs> it really aligned with, you know, I love being outdoors. I love being able to have those types of activities within my backyard or that are really easily accessible. And that's something that at least for this stage of my life really aligns with what I see value in and where I want to spend my time. So a lot of this, you know, people will say, well, it seems, seems a little bit uh, happy, touchy, feely, a little bit, you know, search thyself and all this good stuff. And you're talking about being in a peak performance type company. I mean, you can't 
talk about HubSpot without equating that to Uber success, right? Um, so one would ask, hey, have you always been like this? And it just you just happen to go into a company that it is built like this, seems to have a culture like this, or has there been a bit of a change over time? Yeah, I'd say luckily for me, stumbling into sales, I, I was talking to somebody about it today who's considering a sales career. Uh, I don't really know how I got here aside from a mentor said, hey, maybe you should check out this company that's a startup hiring in sales. And luckily, I, I did pretty well out of the gates. Uh, I had actually fallen into a point within HubSpot uh, where it was like, all right, we're going to put this on autopilot for a little bit, actually. Uh, and that was where I started to realize that's not the standard that I want to have set for myself. Uh, this standard of like good or average. And it's up to me. Nobody's going to raise that bar of what do I expect of myself or where do I want to be? And so it's pushed me, especially going out president's club trips, being around other top performers uh, that have said, yeah, I, I want to be at the top. I want to excel at what I do. And for me, it's not about just good. It's about how do I get to outstanding and excellent with the activities that I choose. Now, this is, I think, a key piece here. So I'll ask a question. I think I know the answer, but I'll ask a question nevertheless. Against whom are you competing? It took me a while to learn this. Uh, <laughs> for a long time in sales, it's looking at the stack rank and it's, oh, what's that? What's that person doing above me? You know, I'm battling to be number one at the end of the year. I'm like, where are they? What are they doing? And I wasted so much time worrying about what everyone else was doing. And when I realized at the end of the day, for me, all I can control is myself. And I am only competing against myself at the end of every day to say, did I move in the direction that I wanted to at the end of the day is where I still struggle with it. In sales, you still see the stack ranks and the waterfalls against the other teams and everything of the sort. Uh, but at the end of the day, it really came to, I am competing against me and that's all I can control. And so that's where I want to focus now. So how do you balance that, right? Because super competitive people, we love that competition. Yet, if we compare ourselves to others, I had a really good mentor of mine. He always said, listen, Brian, if you compare yourselves to others, you're going to lose in two ways. Either you're going to think too highly of yourself or too lowly of yourself. Either way, it's bad. Uh, so how do you balance that uber competitiveness? I love to win with, I can't compare myself to others. Yeah, I, I think for me, it's a way to set a baseline, to set a barometer and say, okay, here's what other folks might be doing. Uh, here's what's possible. And I celebrate the possibility. I see, oh, I, you know, for so long, it was this, oh, somebody's doing better than me. And oh my gosh, like there's not enough out there. You know, they've got the lead. They've got other things that I don't have. And what I realized is it's so much more empowering to be able to celebrate the folks that are having success. You know, I've, I've gone for different roles and haven't got them in the past, sat there spiteful, angry, and upset. And that just sucked. It took me down, wasted time, sat in this unproductive state. And when I was able to move to, wow, congratulations, amazing job. Like, I'm so happy for you. And shifting to and this mindset of mentor, right? <laughs> and, and, and cared and did it and meant it. Yes, because that's, again, where it's very easy to get away from that. But where I kind of moved from this mindset of scarcity to realizing that there is so much abundance and opportunity out there in the world. Uh, I was just reading uh, Robin Sharma's The Everyday Hero, and he talks a lot about his 
you know, top clients, billionaires, whatnot, that they don't sit there and see somebody with more than they have and say like, oh, there's not enough out there for me. They say there's an abundance of money out there in the world. And it's just up to me to figure out the way to create enough value to get it. And I think that mindset is so much more empowering opposed to coming from this more victim type mindset that focuses on the lack or what we don't have. And as I think about comparing myself to others, that was one of those big shifts to say, yeah, maybe I had a crappy month or two. Wow. Other people are having success. I know I can do that as well. And maybe that opens up the opportunity to say, hey, what what are you doing? I'm going to reach out and learn from other folks and say, hey, is there something that you're doing that may be special? A lot of times they may say, no, not really. (laughs) Yeah. But that's where it's great. I've got the opportunity to learn. Now, you, you talked about you you had this negative thoughts, right? Or this negative self-talk or negative belief, hey, scarcity mentality, and whether you call it growth mindset or abundance mindset, whatever you want to call it, did you always have that? And if not, how did you form it or start to develop it in yourself? Yeah, it's an awesome question because I don't think so. Uh, I, I think I expected to know everything I needed to be a successful human. Once I got done with college, I was like, great. I you know, got a decent GPA. I took all the classes Check. they told me to take, you know, I've had a liberal arts school. So I got to explore some different things and have a little bit of a broader learning uh, kind of experience through college. And was like, great. I should be good business, general business degree, management, international focus. It's like, I, I'm ready to take on the world. And then had some experiences that said like, there's a lot more out there that I don't know that I've never been taught. And that is what really helped us start to open my mind. And then I had a really great mentor that talked to me in sales about, you know, how do you adopt this attitude of curiosity on every call? Even though you may talk to people, you know what they're going to say. How do you just have this insatiable curiosity in life? Because we have such an incredible opportunity in today's day and age to learn from the best of the best, because I can go take a class from MIT or Harvard or Yale or Stanford online for free. In many cases today, I can listen to Ted talks and finding that ability to really understand how can I go learn about the things that I care about and want to learn about are what really helped me start seeing the ways that other people would think that have done things far greater than I have that I want to aspire to. And so it's something that I think really had to develop from falling on my face and having a couple experiences, realizing that I don't know a lot. Yeah. And and so let's hit down a little bit more deeply on that because a lot of times if people fall on their face, they, they recoil and, and retract and, 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 and go inward. Right. And gets that, um, we have 6 billion kids and we watch uh, meet the Robinsons. I don't know if you've ever seen that before. Right. I haven't seen it, but I can add it to the list if it's worth it. I don't know. Uh, it's definitely worth it. So uh, it, it's a, it's a kid's cartoon, but it talks about this one guy, his name's Gubiak, right. And he he's playing baseball and he misses a catch and his whole team just jumps him and they get over it. Right. But he doesn't. And he has to shift the blame because you talked about victim mentality. He plays the victim and you see him walking down the hallway and they're like, hey, Goob, cool this. Hey, Goob, blah, blah, blah. And he's just like, everybody hated me because it's that that view set. So 
a lot of people go to that. And I, I guess the question is, do you ever, because you're human, do you find yourself going down that path of, you know, negative self-talk and self-loathing during a loss, even though you know all of this stuff and the right things to do? All the time, all the time. That, that is the preconditioning that I think we all have as humans for the most part is this negative self-talk that it took me a while to be like, oh yeah, there is this voice in my head. Like I thought at first that meant I was crazy hearing chatter and thoughts. And most of the time for the majority of us, that self-talk is negative. There are things going through my head every day that I wouldn't tell anybody else in the world. I wouldn't say that to a, the, an enemy, let alone a good friend. Yeah. And so that is where I've actively taken different affirmations that I'll use or try and build this understanding of I can grow, I can learn, I can develop. And getting out of that comfort zone is hard. I still struggle with it every single day, which is exactly why I go back to these different tools and resources to help feed my mind, to help challenge myself, see myself fall. And really the joy in that is picking yourself back up. You know, I, I lead a lot of meditation with folks and people tell me, I can't meditate. I can't quiet my mind. Guess what? I really struggle with it too, because the beauty though in meditation is realizing, oh, my mind wandered. Now I get to bring it back and have that awareness to say, oh, I'm going to just come back for maybe one breath right now, just as much as you go weightlifting and you do one curl. And then the next one is where that strength comes from over time physically. And that's why the repetition is critical for it mentally as well to say, how do I feed good, positive things into my mind? Now, is that the secret, if you will, to sustaining per performance? It's definitely a part of it. You know, I, I think there is an equation that brings a handful of different facets into it. One of the keys is absolutely being able to find the good in life. You know, how can you celebrate the wins, big or small? You know, working with sellers, working with teams, in many cases, as folks are struggling, it's what, what went well today? Nothing, not a single thing. I can tell you a hundred <laughs> things that went wrong, but what went well? Nothing. And I'm like, did you, did you wake up? Did you pick up the phone? Did you try? Did you, did you get told no, at least that's okay. Like that's worth celebrating too, because sales especially is a hard, hard job and being comfortable with saying, yeah, things didn't go perfectly today and I'm still going to show up tomorrow and give it my best is part of that equation. So I'm a big fan of, you know, gratitude and being able to say, you know, what went well today and find something because the more that we actively search that out, the more that we'll find it. You yeah. know, our, our, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, and sometimes you just, I had clean drinking water today for goodness sakes. I, it's not that hard, but we make it really hard. Our, our, you know, our, our brains have been programmed and done an amazing job for tens of thousands of years, keeping us alive because they live in a fear-based state. What is going to kill me? What is, you know, am I going to have food, shelter, water, etc.? And most cases in today's day and age, we don't need to live in that state of fear every time we're doing something. You know, somebody tells me no on a sales call, I'm probably not going to die, but we have this adrenaline reaction. We have this reaction that it's like, oh, maybe I'm not going to put food on my table. And that just doesn't serve us as much in today's day and age. So we've got to actively work to reprogram 
our brains to look for more of those good things. Uh, so things become a little bit nicer. Now, speak to the the leaders, right? Because uh, there's tons of pressure out there, especially in your space. If we're in a, in a SaaS VC-backed company, I mean, hyper growth hockey stick is what is, is expected. And that just puts tremendous strain on every part of the, the company, right? So user experience and operations in the, the requirement to, to continue to, to sell at that, that same growth clip, those go-to-market strategies, those channels start to dry up and it gets more and more difficult the bigger that you get. That's a reality. So speak to that person that's leading in fear because they're fearful of failing because that's a super stressful position and they have to rely on their sales team. Speak to that person that says, hey, listen, look, that sounds great, but so what? I'm not HubSpot. I don't have that brand recognition. I can't do that. That's just ridiculous. Yeah, I, I find the leaders have a really tough job as they have to help facilitate growth while especially going through COVID now, helping people work in a totally different realm, kids at home, all these other things. And so what I find from a lot of the leaders that I've worked with and talked to and love is having this ability to have a clear picture of where it is that we want to go. You know, here's where we want to go and then have some sort of mapping to why that's important. Why is that meaningful? And how can you actually show up as a human with whether it's, you know, here's why I want to get to President's Club this year as a sales leader. Um, here's what this would mean to me or my family. Um, being able to be vulnerable with different experiences and not try and just be a robot. I, I think it's so easy to understand when a leader is there not showing up authentically or as a real human, and it makes it much harder to show up for them as a seller. And then the, the last part is, know that you're going to have to take some breaks. I, I mean, I've been in the startup world and tech world, and this one is hard to find the right equilibrium, but find that time to take some time off. I think about, you know, sustaining performance is knowing when you can take some breaks. Professional athletes, they do not play and practice every single day. They have rest days built in, but most sales managers, most sales leaders, feel like they have to be always on 24 seven and your reps are going to do that as well. And we need to find ways to pause, to take breaks, to take a breath, to rest and refresh so we can actually play at our best for the long term. So I'm curious in sales, you can never do enough. You can always make another call. You can always do another email. You can always have another meeting. You can all right. There's always a next step. And because we're ultimately numbers driven, commission based. That's the our, the scorecard is right. That's that's how we judge ourselves is our scorecard. What advice do you have that person that's I can't, right? I, I if I quit, somebody's going to surpass me. If I quit or take a day off, I'm not hitting my number. And this is where I think we get a chance to move more from this very finite game to the infinite game to something that's a little bit longer on the horizon and extend our view. I, I talk to a lot of reps that work on the monthly quota that may lose a deal at the end of the month or maybe, you know, about to miss quota. And so they go and try and sell something for, you know, half the price they could get if they waited two weeks 
And so I think it's helpful to have a little bit longer time horizon as we look at things, you know, being able to push out to say, okay, yeah, you know what? If I keep making the extra call every single day for the next six months, am I going to be totally fried for two months of my life and not be able to show up and do the work? And so sometimes it's micro breaks, you know, for me, I've got a dog. Great. Sometimes I'm forced to take her outside, especially now that she's older. Uh, we got to go out when she's got to go. And for me, great. That's an opportunity to not stare at Slack or check my email 12 times for something I'm not even going to respond to, but to actually just get outside and take a few minutes, you know, time with kids. I think that's been one of the most beautiful things that's come out of COVID is parents that now are able to say, yeah, I'm able to, well, not the kids being at home when you didn't expect them to be, but actually being able to spend time with the kids and taking them to school, you know, and pick them up and then come back and maybe work an hour later than you did before. But you're able to craft your schedule now that aligns better to what you want to do or the other pieces that you value. And maybe that is all work, all career, all income right now. I may challenge you that that may not be it forever and that's okay. And that can change too. But for some people, it's, yeah, I'm going to grind and hustle as much as I can. I think you'll probably end up burning out at some point in time with that. And that's okay. You know, some of us have to crash and burn to learn. So you, so the topic was how to sustain peak performance in a hypergrowth company. And you laid this out that identify your goal or your vision. Where are you going? Then ask yourself why you're going to, why you're going to go there, right? Because if you don't know that why, that motivation, then it's like breaking rocks in prison to get there, right? And it, it's really task-oriented. And then being vulnerable and authentic it, with yourself. If you're, if you're feeling down, deal with it, face it, be authentic about it. Um, be vulnerable with yourself, even be open with others. And then um, find some ways to take your time off. I mean, uh, seems pretty straightforward. Is that that it? It really is. I think this is where uh, I've read the quote this morning. And of course, I can't remember it. Uh, actually, yes. I think it was from Nietzsche. Um, you know, if we have a strong enough why, we can endure any how. And getting into that core of what I, why do I want to do this? You know, why do I want to be number one on the stack rank? You know, why do I want to make half a million dollars a year, whatever that is for you. If we have the story behind it, that's empowering, that aligns with where we want to go, I think we can get there. And we may fall on our face. We may find that we need to update that story or change our how in what we're doing. But those components, I think, really help us have a clear picture of where we want to go and give ourselves the space and freedom and time to also breathe and relax and enjoy life because work's tough. And we're, in most cases, probably going to work for 40 years of our life. And it's not just a game that I'm playing for today or tomorrow, but something that I want to be able to show up for in the long term. Yeah, no, if that's it, then it's not just that for a hyper growth company. Wouldn't that be across the universe? I mean, that's a beauty about process and systems. Universal is universal. It's so true. I think there is this opportunity for us at, that we get back to this core human nature that I think we're seeing drive the great resignation. We're seeing, you know, all these changes happen within society pretty quickly as COVID's come up where people, you know, miss being around other people. Uh, they are 
feeling a little lonely. We're disconnected. We're at odds with each other. And coming to these core understandings of, yeah, as humans, we want to have community around us. We want to be able to do the things that we want to do. Uh, I cannot tell you how many people I talk to now that are so intrigued with sales or tech to be able to work remote to say, yeah, I don't really want to have to go to whatever city I wasn't interested in to work uh, and then commute for two hours a day. I want to be able to spend time with my family. I want to be able to get out for a mountain bike ride or go skiing or whatever it could be. And I think we're finding this shift within a lot of our society. And maybe this is just a a very biased, uh, you know, first world problem that we're running into. But I think people are really starting to redefine their values as humans around what do they work for? Why do they do what they do? And where do they want to spend their time uh, as our our time on this planet is limited uh, as much as we'd like to think it's not? Yeah, it's it, it's cliche, but we're human beings, not human doings. And getting back to that, right? It's true. And I, I think, I mean, the amount of conversations I have with folks, I had one this morning, uh, you know, I, I'm really just burnt out on my job. Uh, I'm thinking about transition to sales. You know, I like being able to work remote for a company to be able to live where I want to live and, you know, have some autonomy over my calendar. You know, I think that's one of the beauties of sales, one of the absolute joys and one of the challenges to your point of, you know, my fiance now works an eight to five job and she's like, oh, when are you going to be done with work? And I tell her, (laughs) I I mean, I can be done whenever, but there's always more to do. And so I think it's a really hard um, balancing act to find that harmony with, you know, when when can I walk out the door or shut my laptop down saying, yes, I've done enough today to feel that I've shown up and done my best in this part or this piece of my pie of life around work and career and income to say, okay, now it's time for me to transition to family or friends or fun. That is another component that makes up how we feel and how we show up every day. Now we didn't really get into tactics. Okay. So we didn't hit any tactics at all. And and I'll ask this, how much do you time block? As part of you being a peak performer, how much do you time block and follow that with discipline? Yeah, so my early mornings are mine. Uh, Nobody's messing with those first few hours of the day. Usually from, depends on the day, I I give myself some flexibility on when I wake up, but that first, you know, probably two to two and a half hours of the day are all mine, which I have control over. I can let somebody book a call there if I choose, but I pretty rarely do because that's when I'm going to do things like sit and meditate, write in a journal, uh, go through incantations, work out and hit some of those fundamental things that as the rest of the day progresses, things can get a little haywire. And so those are some of my core morning activities that I love to do. Um, And then throughout the day, I definitely have a couple of reminders or spots where I either say, yep, here's the type of activity that I'm doing. You know, Wednesdays and Thursdays, I do coaching calls uh, with partners. You know, that's great. I, that helps me stay in that focused zone. I'll do sales calls other days uh, around that. And I'm a little bit more uh, open on when those calls will work for other people. Um, but that's how I try and start to organize my calendar and give myself uh, habits or systems and routines that make it easy to win the morning because the rest of the day can get away from me pretty easily. And then work into, yep, great. Here's what I've got on my calendar when I know here are the types of calls that I'm doing Wednesdays, Thursdays. And outside of that, I'll work to, you know, expand kind of what are those activities that I need to do to that really drive the most impact in my day. 
Yeah, now you're doing coaching, you're doing your piece, you're doing HubSpot making President's Club. So I want to point that out, right? So top performer there. And, and, and there's a lot of stuff that you're doing. So speak to that person that is, I don't have enough time. I'm always busy. Yo, good for you, Jordan. I'm glad you can, but you have two first names for goodness sakes, right? Yeah, you can't. So that's where you can't trust me anyway. Yeah. Uh, that's what people tell me, at least. Um, you know, I, I think the thing that I look at is Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, uh, Oprah, Ariana Huffington. They've all got the same number of hours in the week that I have. And so it's not just about the hours that we work, but more about the leverage that we get from those hours and the time that we spend, how do we show up at our best? And so to me, that's really where I look about the energy that we bring to the time that we spend. And I, I am very much in a mode right now of cutting things out. I think I've taken on too many and, and, ands. And now it's about how do we go back and really focus on doing deep, consistent, effective work on the things that are most important to me. And again, that comes back to my bumper car example to say, all right, yeah, you know, I tried managing my vacation rental properties uh, that were my families uh, that, that, that they own and trying to help out there because I'm good on tech and Airbnb and all this stuff. You know what? Probably not the best and most effective use of my time right now. Uh, all these things are where you get a chance to say, great, here's why I don't want to do it. But to me, it's really about understanding how do I show up at my best on the activities that fill me up and give me energy and help myself rest and refresh and renew. So I'm ready for the things that maybe I don't love doing, but are part of my job that I have to do as well. Now, what allowed you to realize that you're too stretched? Uh, stress, burnout, um, <laughs> uh, you know, really, again, I, I come back to this concept of standards and, and, you know, understanding what is my personal standard? What is the level that I have for myself and realizing that that started to slip, you know, there were emails that I wasn't getting back to in a timely fashion. There were times that I, I would show up to calls or, or I'd be running late a couple minutes to calls consistently. And it started dawning on me that one, I feel a little fried because I'm just constantly running. Two, I'm not finding as much time to refresh or renew or do the other parts of my life that I love. That's okay. I can sacrifice those for some point in time. And three, it comes back to that main part that we talked about earlier is this self-awareness of saying, oh, how am I feeling today? And I, I love to use a one to 10 scale and say like, you know what? I'm, I've come in at a four for the last like two weeks almost. Okay. Well, now we can start to extrapolate. Well, what's going on? What was I doing when I was feeling eight, nines, and tens more consistently that now gives me a barometer to measure from and say, okay, here's now why I want to show up differently the next couple of weeks or whatever it could be. Nice. It's smart. And uh, I'll throw out there for those that want to do the one to 10 scale, don't use seven. Seven's like that. Mwah. So eliminate that and you got to be below average or above. And that's that's a good, good key. I love that. Now, I'm going to step into it a little bit and, and go against culture. Okay. And, and, uh, you know, I, hopefully we'll get some pushback on this, but you, you talked about victims playing the victim, being part of the victim. And I see right now society is really pushing in or leaning into this. I'm a victim. Like everything is a, a victim, every subgroup and everything else. Right. And I know that we're not supposed to say that, especially me. I see people being robbed 
of control though because they fall into this victim because if i'm victim i can't do anything about it but if i if i take ownership of it then i can do something it i can i can make a difference and make a stand so talk a little bit more about that victimness what allows you to say you know I'm not a victim or what allows you to say, Hey, even though you may have, you may have some hard stuff coming at you, you're still not a victim. Yeah. And it's such a dicey topic in today's day and age. To, Which to is talk crazy about. to me. I, it's, it's really tough, you know, because I, I think we lose our power uh, in that mindset and mentality. And, and there are terrible, terrible, terrible things that happened and have happened to so many of us throughout our lives. The list could go on forever. Right. But to me, what really resonated is it's not about what happened to you, but how you react to it. And that's the control that I have, whether it's Viktor Frankl between stimulus and response, there's a space in our space in that space is where we get to choose how we respond. And if we, I'll, I'll give you a super, super uh, relevant example for me. I went through some big changes at work probably six or seven years ago. And I was sitting there saying, why is this happening to me? And every time I go, why is this happening to me? It's like, because they don't value me, because I'm not appreciated, because I'm not good enough, because all these reasons that just this negative downward spiral and cascade easily flowed from. And I, I was working with a coach. Again, outside perspective, I know I'm not the smartest guy in the room, uh, but luckily other people have gone through experiences to help me see it. And he said, wow, you're asking a lot of this, why, why me, why me question? What would happen if you flip two words in that question and said, how is this happening for me? Now, all of a sudden, well, it gives me a chance to show that I can do this. This gives me a chance to perform. This gives me the opportunity to really refine and focus on the activities that drive the most value. And that's where I felt this incredible sense of power that whatever the experience is, these victim, why me questions are so disempowering and rob us of the ability to take control and show up differently because there is nothing that prevents any of us aside from this perverse view of sunk costs that aren't really there to show up differently with the next step that we take, the next word that I speak. I can totally decide to change who I am or how I want to show up in the world. I can change a career. I can try something different. There is nothing that stops us aside from beliefs in my head. And that's where I find that victimhood mentality robs so many of us of our own greatness and our own amazing ability as humans to take those experiences and do something really impactful with them. Well said. And the thing is, right, I can view myself as a victim choice, or I can view myself to have control choice. It's perspective and what perspective you're going to take. And even if, and let's take it to an extreme example, you're walking down the street and somebody mugs you. You can play the victim of being mugged, right? That horrible thing. And and, and, and easily arguable. Yeah. You were a victim there, right? Totally. However, 
what happens if you say, well, how can I take ownership of this so never to be in that in that circumstance again? How can I learn from this? Well, I'll never walk alone at night in, in particular parts of town without having multiple people or take self-defense courses or, 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 right? What are all the things that you could do? And even if it happens again, you're like, oh my gosh, that didn't work. How else can I prevent this from happening? And, and I, that's a subtle difference. And I'm going to challenge all of us out here to stop thinking about woe is me, but rather, what can I do? And how exciting is this opportunity to make those changes? And, and, and that's really what I'm hearing you saying, Jordan. Yeah, I, I think it's such a good point. And, and I have to call out, and you, you already uh, you know, alluded to it. Easy to say, you know, white dude, done, been successful, been fortunate. It's easy for me to, to talk about those areas, but I find I found myself sitting there in this victimhood mindset. And, and I think there is a point in time where grief and uh, mourning and, you know, understanding and being with those feelings of sadness is important as bad things happen, but we then get to choose. And now all of a sudden we've heard stories of people you know, getting mugged. And now all of a sudden they've started a company to help others, you know, um, whether it's teaching self-defense courses or, you know, oh, here's a button you can push or yeah, we've invented, you know, I think my fiance even has like a, a tiny little better bottle of pepper spray yeah. because when we moved to Boston, we had this whole conversation about like, well, oh, you know, how would I carry my keys? If I, if, you know, somebody did come up to me and I was like, oh, you should call me. And we've had these whole conversations about it, but being able to say this terrible thing happened in my life and it sucked and I was a victim, but how do I now put myself in a position of power? How do I use that experience to help me grow, to help me learn, to help me develop opposed to, or I see so many folks get trapped is they just stay in that negative downward spiral. And that's the easy path. It's the easiest way to go. And I I don't fault anybody for it. I just have seen that continue with a lot of people in some pretty negative ways. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, once you have that lens on, that that victim lens, everything that you see is now victimhood. And it's being able to take that off, right? Just like in the matrix, whenever he finally sees, right? And I love the fact that you brought up Victor Frankl. I mean, the man's search for meaning. I mean, what a depressing book. But that really gets you to realize, holy cow, this is a true choice. If he can make it through that, and, and thrive. I mean, my goodness, we can definitely do it in this, this society, it, right? As much as I play the woes me card every now and then I, I come back to that and say, if you can sit through living in a, you know, through the Holocaust in a concentration camp and still find a beautiful meaning in life, my struggles on a sales floor or in a relationship or, you know, losing a parent I, it's, it's all up to me and my perspective is what will define my reality more so than anything. And it's nobody else's choice, but my own. So what would you say to that person that says, okay, that's me. I'm playing the victim card. I'm, I'm not living up to my peak performance because I've not made the right choices. By the way, that's a choice, right? What choices you've made is really going to be dependent upon your success, how far you get out of that comfort zone. So what would you say to that person that now says, okay, that's not me. I'm not doing that. I want to change. What, what's the, you know, the biggest challenge or mistake that you're going to suggest that they avoid? 
I think that the challenge that comes up for folks there is not having awareness when that self-talk comes back up and they're just go into it and let it go and finding a way to call it out. Uh, I've seen people name their different personalities uh, to say, <laughs> oh yeah, this is, you know, this is me being the whiny victim, you know, like, Hey, and, and people even give it a name where it's like, oh yeah, that's, that's Sally. You're being the whiny victim right now, Sally, or whatever it is. And saying, you know, who do I want to be right now? I also, the, the simplest thing, learned it from my grandma, thought she was crazy, but I look for what can I be grateful for every single day? Because through the process of neuroplasticity, we can actually rewire our brains to have that positive outlook a little bit more to actually see those good things. And so that person that's sitting there as the victim that, that says, yeah, I've been there my whole life. Just notice when does that come up and say, oh, there it is. I see you. Because once we name an emotion, once we name that thing that keeps happening, the realization and awareness starts happening more frequently. And then we get to say, is that who I want to be right now? And it's up to me. It's my choice. So what's, a, what's your best tactic, right? So I'm making that change. I, I want to be intentional. I'll name it. What's maybe the best tactic to put that into practice? I like to mark it down. Uh, have a sticky note, have a, an app or an Evernote somewhere to say, how many times a day did this come up for me? And then at the end of the day, I get to go back and reflect and say, what did I do well? Where can I improve? You know, or what are those things that really trigger me to find that? Maybe it's work. Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's um, you know, around food or exercise or, or some of these really, or finances or some of these really common areas that I hear folks going to that victimhood. And once I can identify how frequently does this happen, what is that specific trigger for me, where that comes up, now I can start to create a more empowering story or an empowering habit or activity that says, you know, okay, food, I tend for me, I tend to overeat. And it's one of my big challenges. And I, I've got all sorts of excuses. Oh, I don't want to waste food. There's people starving around the world. There's, you know, oh, but I love eating such delicious food and all these things. And so now it's a matter of saying, okay, whoop, I just noticed I'm getting ready to keep eating and I'm already full. Okay, that's happening a few times a week. Okay, well, now what can I do to control that? Smaller portion sizes. I haven't gotten there yet. I know I probably will need to, but like go ultra crazy and put a food scale on or have a food journal. Because once we start documenting what is happening outside of just thinking it in our heads, when we can actually see something on paper, on an app, whatever it is, we can actually start having more ability to take control of it. The, the phrase that I like is what gets measured gets managed. And so if we can actually measure it in whatever works for you, whether it's a tick on a sticky note, I, when I was doing ums and ahs forever on my sales calls, I had a coworker for a while sat next to me and he'd just mark one up every time. <laughs> and then I started doing it for myself. And when I can actually measure that and see what's happening, it makes it so much easier to then take action from there. And so for me, measure it, bring awareness to it in some form or fashion is how I think you can start to actually take more control of how you want to show up or, or move from that pace, place. Yeah, I really like that trigger. And, and going back to my old military flying days, we, we put ourselves into specific situations, right? So if you know what triggers you, why not practice in the theater of your mind 
put yourself in those situations and see yourself reacting the way that you want to with not the victim mentality, but now you're new empowered. This is a way I'm going to be uh, mindset and mentality and action. So that's a really good takeaway. I love that. I, I think that's so good too, especially talking about the mental theater. Our brain doesn't know much difference between what we rehearse in the mind and what we actually experience. And so if I can say, yeah, I see myself pushing my plate away, throwing food away, or ideally having a smaller portion to begin with. Now it makes it much easier for me to say, okay, I can show up differently and I'm still going to screw it up every now and then. But the more that I can rehearse that in my mind, the more that I can say, you know, or practice gratitude of like, oh my gosh, and understanding what's it going to feel like. That's an exercise I love to go through with folks. You know, let's see yourself getting to that goal. What's it going to feel like? What's it going to taste like? What's it going to smell like? How do you get that deeply ingrained into your brain, into your body? So that next time you have a better likelihood of actually getting where you want to go, knowing that we may still fall back on old habits and that's okay too, because it takes time to make change. And it's usually not just going to happen overnight. Yeah. It's, it's not a matter of when you fail. It's a matter of when, and then the, the choice that you make when you fail, how long you're going to stay in that failure versus rebound. Um, and I think the stronger you get, I think Victor Frankl calls it gestalt, right? Um, that, that larger area of gestalt is your greater area of practice that you've been able to really pull this out. So. Yeah. I, I think the other thing that's been super helpful for me from James Clear and Atomic Habits, don't miss twice. Yeah. You know, I, the second you do whatever it is, or don't do whatever it is that you want to do for a second time in a row is where you're creating a habit against where you want to go. And so for me, okay. Yeah. You know what? I overate today, next meal, I'm cutting it out to keep moving in the direction that I want to go or working out fitness, I think is so common for folks. You miss two days in a row, downward spiral starts going. Uh, and you'll find that after that first day of making some sort of big change, it's probably really hard. Second day, a little bit easier. Third day, that much better. And so, you know, for me, I love tracking the uh, habits that I'm working on or streaks uh, in different apps that have gamified it in yeah. some form or fashion that really helps me, again, have measurement and something to say, oh, I, I got to keep that streak alive that hits that some of that competitive nature that I have as well. Well, let's resource, uh, let's transition to that resources that you'd recommend. So uh, an app or a book or what are maybe some different resources that you might recommend that we can really start to up our peak performance, right? Yeah. Um, so there's incredible TED Talks uh, out there that I, I love to list a few. Uh, the Secret to Happier Work by Sean Acor is amazing. Um, I am also a huge fan uh, of pretty much anything from Brené Brown uh, that probably everybody knows and is familiar with. I've been listening to her podcast recently, and she had a couple great episodes, one with Daniel Pink on The Power of Regret, which was great that I recently listened to that's top of mind. I am also a big fan of reading, and so I just dropped James Clear Atomic Habits was really powerful. Uh, I read in the last year uh, 4,000 Weeks, by, I believe it's Oliver Berkman, which was a fascinating look at time management in a much different way than I've seen it in the past. And um, 
oh man, the amount of podcasts that, that are out there is pretty endless. Um, I, I would also add Lewis Howe's The School of Greatness is pretty good uh, as another resource for folks. And then uh, I guess I'll, I'll pimp my own podcast on, on peak performance selling. Uh, I, I love interviewing different sales leaders on you know the mindset and approach that they have, which is selfishly another one of the ways that I get to learn and interview folks uh, similarly here to learn a lot more about how do they operate. But those are the couple of the key ones. Um, and then for folks looking for something a little bit more extended, we talked about this a little bit before the show, but uh, the alt MBA that Seth Godin put together a handful of years ago was something that showed me I could accomplish way more uh, in a certain, in a short time frame than I ever thought possible uh, is it's essentially a 30 day sprint on top of your day-to-day job for almost everybody there on top of kids uh, of a lot of hours you know, about four or five days a week, um, really pushing you out of your comfort zone, but getting a chance to connect and learn what he refers to a lot more as real skills uh, is a pretty fun one too. Nice. I love it. And uh, we'll, we'll hit uh, hit this in a second, but before we jump into who should reach out to you and, and we can talk about that uh, podcast again, what do you see trends coming down the pike, future trends that you see? I see businesses getting much more focused on the human, how do they create happy humans, which will create happy customers? The great resignation that we've seen come up, uh, I think is a big, it can be largely attributed to folks not feeling fulfilled in the work that they do. And so I think we're going to see companies try and find stronger missions and more purpose in what they do that their employees can get behind. And I think we're going to find organizations that used to say, you know, the, the personal stuff that we all experience and have as humans that's supposed to be completely out of the workplace. I still think there's a good bit of it that you should deal with a therapist on that for or your own coach or something, you know, somebody else. But I think we're going to see more of those lines being blurred between me being able to show up authentically as a whole human in the workplace versus a sales robot that like, is only dialing or managing a team every single day and pretending that there's nothing else happening in our lives. I think those are some of those trends that we're going to really see start to take off in business and with sales leaders, especially that are now having to sit much more in a coach realm uh, and mindset than in a uh, command drill sergeant type of realm that, that, that they used to be in historically. Yeah, things really changed. I'm uh, doing some research on a book. I'm crazy enough to think that I could write a book here. So I started writing a book. And uh, the research that I've done is the engagement level from whenever they started tracking this Gallup poll, right? The engagement started off around 20% engagement, which is horrendous. And it went up to, believe it or not, the peak was at 40% engagement uh, during the pandemic. And it's coming back down to 36%. And I think that that's really going to be it because the way I look at this, there's only two differentiators that a company can have right now because I can rip off your message. I can rip off your technology pretty easily now. There's not that much of a differentiator. So really the, the, the two differentiators I would see is one, your people and making sure they're engaged, authentic and encouraged living that peak performance life. And then the second side of that is how easy do you make it? Can you remove that friction from the buyer's journey through that? So if you have great people and super easy buying, I think that's really going to be the key differentiators going in the future, especially for B2B companies that are behind the, the B2C companies in this area. 
Yeah, I, I think you're spot on. I've seen that Gallup poll and to see that, you know, yes, like 20 to 40, it's like great in that terms to see that like, <laughs> you know, the average sits around like the low 30s over the last 20 or 30 years. Tells me that we got something more to work on. Forty yeah, percent um, is still really bad. <laughs> that's, that's still, you know, I think you'd talk to any CFO, they'd be pretty pissed if you tell them, yeah, you really only get about forty percent engagement out of your employees here. And so I think that's where we're seeing this pretty big revolution in how are companies going to operate. You know, what do humans want from work, and you know, h- how do we acknowledge that we are humans and we have emotions, we have feelings, we have stuff, bad stuff that happens in our life that you know, may make it a little harder to show up one day or the next. And that's okay because the organization is here to support you and they've built enough uh, trust with their teams to say, Hey, we know you're a human and that's okay. And that's why we want to have you here because when you're on your A game, there's nobody else out there that can beat you. It's a crazy idea. Live your core values. Don't just have them up on the wall that no one sees anyway. So my goodness, we might as well right. leave them out. <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> well, hey, thanks so much, Jordan. I really appreciated this. It's a great conversation. So who should reach out to you? How should they reach out to you? And why should people reach out to you? Yeah, I, I love working with SaaS tech uh, sales teams. I work across kind of go to market and CS teams as well that are trying to talk about giving their teams tools for peak performance uh, and how do they create sustainable performance. So I run different workshops, trainings, uh, and sessions with different SaaS teams on how do they sustain peak performance. So anybody interested in that realm, hit me up. Uh, I'm talking about it on LinkedIn pretty frequently as well. And I'm happy to just be a resource as I've gotten a chance to learn a lot uh, and most of it the hard way. And so ideally, I help folks not have to learn uh, in such challenging ways. Yeah. And, and so what's the name of your podcast again for, for everyone? Uh, Peak Performance Selling. Find me uh, anywhere you get podcasts today uh, is a great way to find me and uh, some other wonderful folks in this ecosystem. Good. So whenever you're done listening to this, check out Peak Performance Selling with uh, Jordan Benjamin, the guy with two first names, but he's a trustworthy guy. Nevertheless, we like him. So, hey, thanks so much. All right. So let's sum this up today. A couple of key points here. Make sure I don't miss anything, Jordan. Uh, Get your goal. Get your vision. Lay that out there. Know why you want to do it. Be vulnerable and authentic with yourself and others uh, of how you're doing against that. Find ways to take some time off to recharge. Lose the victim mindset. Be intentional about what you're going to do and how you're going to do about or how you're going to do it whenever you get to those trigger points. And my goodness, be grateful, would you? Write about how grateful you are. And in worst case, I'm able to breathe clean air today. I'm able to have water, uh, water or a hot shower. Or if you're one of those stoics, I took a cold shower today, right? Jeez, Louise, not for me. I love warm showers. <laughs> All right, Jordan, any final thoughts? I would just say on the gratitude piece, most of us wake up every day expecting it to be a given. I couldn't tell you why I woke up this morning and I can't guarantee I'll wake up tomorrow. Every day is a gift and enjoy it. Every day is a gift. Love it. That was a great takeaway. Hey, thanks. I really appreciate it. So take something, everyone. Learning for learning sake is pointless. Learning for knowledge sake. Take this, apply it, make your life better. And by you making your life better, put your oxygen mask on first impact those around you and give this stuff away. Thanks everyone. See you.